0: You know, we have this big misconception about stoicism. Stoic means to be like quiet and broody and not talk about how you feel. And actually, stoicism's a lot about analysing your emotions and your feelings and really getting to the depth of them and feeling them mm-hmm. and then coming out the other end, which isn't the stoicism we see now in men. Unbelievable, we've talked about the impact of, of helping women feel safe in the presence of men. Help
1: men feel safe in the presence of men. Yeah. I think it was my 25th birthday and I was working. My birthday's in the Christmas period. Um, I just spent it just down, um, sad and lonely, and I just said, I'm not doing that again.
2: My anger and my relationship to my anger, it took me until, yeah, like 30, 31 to realize that what I see in myself is actually exactly the same in my dad.
3: In a way, levels the playing field slightly to say, okay, I can take some responsibility
0: here. And you step out of being a kid. He's never going to be the dad I want him to be. He's only going to be the dad that I have. Mm. And when I accept him as he is, Mm. I can actually love him much easier.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Boys Toilets. It's great to have you here. In today's episode, we are going to be... It's actually a roundtable episode today. We've got the incredible David Chambers, who is a men's dating and intimacy coach, and Alex Holmes, an author and mental health coach. Today, we share a powerful conversation on masculinity, race, and a topic that many men, I think, are going to be really, really keen to listen and listen into, and that is our relationships with our fathers. So really, really excited for you to hear this one. Just before we get into it, we're just going to share a very quick word from our sponsors. Jamie and I are both delighted to bring you this episode, along with the entire first season of the Boys Toilets podcast, with the support from our friends over at Heath Skincare. Now, Heath is a men's skincare and grooming company providing daily skin protection for the switched on man. Heath's products are tailored for the modern man, designed to provide daily protection against a range of environmental stresses such as blue light and pollution keeping our skin looking healthy as we tackle the demands of today's fast-paced world. We are incredibly grateful to be able to offer all of our listeners a huge 25% off your first three orders by using the code BOYSTOILETS25. That's BOYSTOILETS25 at the checkout. And make sure you don't miss the exclusive Toilets kit, including some of our favourite essential products from the Heath range. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Boys' Toilets. We are delighted to be having our first roundtable conversation. So we're joined by two guests today. Uh, we've got Alex Holmes and David Chambers. Um, thank you very much for being here, gents. Um, it would be lovely if I could just do the, the ceremony and ask you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little
0: bit about yourselves and the work that you do. Yeah, um, I'm David Chambers. What do I do? Um, I'm a men's dating relationship and intimacy coach. Um, Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But it doesn't even just encompass that. Like I work with guys across purpose and helping them just be better men actually in general. And Mm. I kind of encase it within dating, relationship, intimacy, because those are worlds I really enjoy. Particularly the intimacy work. Um, I've been doing this for more than a few years, I guess on and off for 10 plus years. Um, It's quite funny. I bumped into a friend of mine and he's still a dating coach. I bumped into a few days ago, actually. And he was just wandering around Westfield with one of his clients. And I was like, wow, I haven't done that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, a lot of it is just connection. That's my big thing, connection. Like how can men connect better with themselves, first of all, because that's where connection starts. And then with the women, because most of my clients are heterosexual.
1: Mm, amazing. Thanks, David. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm Alex Holmes. I don't know why I'm looking into the right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm Alex Holmes. I'm, um, I'm a hypnotherapist and a coach. Um, and my primary interest is around uh, masculine based trauma and shame. Um, so, working with men to kind of work through that um, as a way to, similar to what David does, trying mm. to find connection, try and find that sense of belonging um, with themselves so that they can and we can communicate better and just be better men in general. Mm. But I work with most, I work with everybody though, as well, because I'm training to be a psychotherapist. So, I'm working towards that too. Author. And podcast host. Wow,
2: that is me. That was beautiful, guys. Um, you know, bearing in mind about two minutes before we started this episode, you both meant. So, are you introducing us? Are, 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 are we doing it? And you just just reeled that off beautifully. So, thank you. Um, yeah, they know us.
3: They know us, and hopefully, the <laughs> listeners broadly know us as well. But I think, um, as you guys were introducing yourselves, there something that that I'd like to, I guess, open with is for James and myself, obviously we've had similar-ish roots into this work that's led us to having this podcast where we are looking, yes, at men's issues, masculinity, gender, but also issues beyond that. Um, And I know personally for me as an individual, my, I suppose, not necessarily my views, but certainly my experience and my education around these topics has developed and evolved over time. Um, And I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine the same for you. (laughs) I'm I'm comfortable with that. I imagine (laughs) the same for, for you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about I guess, how you guys got into this work that you're doing, particularly through the lens of looking at, at masculinity and, and masculine trauma and mm. your own experiences as a man, sort of where, how, how did we end up here without that being too broad of a kind of <laughs> tell me a <your> life story <laughs> question. Um, but yeah, how did you end up sort of with an interest in a, I guess, a professional as well as a personal interest
1: in this space? Um, I'll go. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it pretty much started with, expectations i held for myself at work um so i was a journalist for five years um, and it was in a fast-paced uh tabloid paper and i'd worked in tabloid papers for pretty much most of that career um where i was and um it was in that time i'd had three emotional breakdowns um and when i figured out that nobody was coming to save me um it's when i had to sit down and really take stock of why and how i got to that got to that place um so in that sense i started looking around i started figuring out what is going on um who why am i not talking about this who can I have this conversation with um felt very much alone um, i was getting you know onset early onset autoimmune problems um wasn't sleeping I was drinking a lot, and um, talking, coming in from work, and then straight to the cabinet and getting the brandy, and mm. it just felt like an old Jamaican man. And it, <laughs> was it, it wasn't. It wasn't a good look. I David not know what they what they're like. Um, it wasn't the white rum. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a brandy. And <laughs> it was <laughs> yes, um, no ice. <laughs> that's how, ice. That's how you know. Um, but yeah, no, I used to I used to do all that, and um, and I found that it wasn't just work that was causing a lot of these emotional issues. It was, um, I had three kind of areas that just weren't bringing me peace. It was like my friendships and um, relationships were stressing me out. My family (laughs) was causing me to feel like deep, Elements of shame, you know, like you're 27, you're at home, you're 25, you're at home, all these different things, feeling like you have to stay in the job because you want to make them proud, but and all this different stuff. Um and then work was just causing me a lot of a lot of grievance. Um, because you know, we entered we enter into these professions which are predominantly white, especially in journalism. Any like, you know, 1% of the population within journalism is. Black, wow. so wow. that's and there's only three and three percent in the in the UK. So it's a bit like you know, oh no, that that is a bit lower than that as well. Um, I think I had the figure recently. I just completely blanked, but it's a bit lower than that. So now you're already fighting certain battles within there um, subconsciously, um, and it was just really tough, really tough. Gaslit, um, manipulated, um, alienated, bullied, so many different things. Um, when you find that like you're not being paid the same amount the mm-hmm. same people, when you find that you're not, you don't, just because you haven't got the same pedigree or background, um, you know, you're kind of pushed aside, physically alienated, like talking on a row of desks, like you're at the far end and then there's like several computers in between. Wow. and then the, Like things like that, that you don't necessarily, you look at and just think, oh, no, I'm just going to sit over here mm-hmm. in the corner because I'm kind of to myself anyway. But then you realize, actually, Am I to myself or am I being made to feel mm. I should be to and that's, myself? That's covert, isn't it? Mm. It's kind of under the radar. Under the radar and stuff. Mm. And then a few jibes and all of these different things which you can get into um, a bit later on. But yeah, it was all of that that kind of culminated in me consistently crying, consistently going to the bathroom and crying in the mirror like Viola Davis, you know, in that show. I don't even know what it was, Fences or something. And she's just there snotting and crying <laughs> in the mirror. And, I think, and I, I think it was my 25th birthday and I was working. My birthday's in the Christmas period and I was working and I was just like, um, I just spent it just down, um, sad and lonely and I just said, I'm not doing that again. Mm. And I just kind of was making the steps to leave to find my way out of that. So at first I thought it was the specific paper, then I went to a different one and it was the same thing. Mm. And I just had to just be out and I'll never forget leaving the building when I just kind of done with it all and the weight off my shoulder. I was like, oh, and yeah. I looked behind me, it's like I just stepped out of a vortex. Mm. And I was like, this is this is wild. I've got mm. I feel free. I've got things that I can do now. Um so yeah, so I went into become a health coach, trained in that, and then I got really interested in the therapeutic relationship. And then I started reading up on all of these psychotherapists, and I was got really excited and buzzed about that. Ended up on a psychotherapy course where I became a hypnotherapist, and now I'm just working towards the final part of the qualification. And then I wrote my book, um, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. Mm-hmm. I had my podcast. So I was just kind of navigating down there because I was just curious. I think that journalistic curiosity still stayed, but I was just kind of really focused on how do we, how do we grow from this? Mm-hmm. And along the way, I've met you guys yeah. and, you know, and here we are. I'm wondering, is there, was there a
2: specific point along that journey that you started to consider... The challenges that you were having, as through the lens of mas- your masculinity, was there a particular point where you started thinking, "What
1: about this is due to my masculinity or my experience as a man?" Yeah, yeah. um I think that traditionally, when it comes to certain professions in the UK, it, they, the especially the older ones that are like around two hundred plus years old, the culture is very military, mm-hmm. so it's very much like you're mm-hmm. part of this team. This is the bastion that you're in. This is the rank you're at. And you've got to kind of work up towards that. We're fighting a war outside with all the other people and all this different <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea. I didn't enter this world. I just want to write. I just want to write. I just want to be that guy. Like, I want to, you know, it was sold to me that I could be a high-flying journalist. Like, what? Um, <laughs> but now I'm like having to fight all these battles and hide. St- it was a lot. And I think it's just this, this kind of, this identity thing of just like, having to be strong, having to be very sure of yourself, having mm-hmm. to not care about your, you know, colleagues, not care about other people, having to just you do that. everything at, at any cost, you know, trample on whoever you need to get to yeah. as long as you're doing well. And that stuff was kind of pushed, um, you know, things like I was pulled into a bathroom and told to man up. I've been, I've been, you know, rough handled, as a journalist kind of thrown out of buildings. I've done, I have been mean, all this different stuff. Wow. And all that stuff's expected of you just because you are a man. If you're a woman, they probably wouldn't. They, they have their own challenges, but in journalism, they are, there are a lot of women in journalism. Mm. They have their own challenges in them. And, um, but they've got to adopt certain cultures and attitudes in a masculine way for them to get up and get ahead. Mm. Um, whereas men, because you've just got to bulldoze your way through and just see if you can. So. Yeah, a lot of it was to do and attributed to the fact that I was, Mm. but I am a man. So yeah, yeah, a lot of it. Amazing. How about you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) As I come here, um, I always say I came to this work through my own pain. You know, I remember being. I guess it started for me around kind of dating. I remember being about twenty-three. I I worked. Now, I worked in tech for 16 years at that point. I had two years into my tech career. I was doing very well. I'd had some really good lucky breaks, actually. Some good managers actually really supported me. And I was suddenly in this place where I was earning good money. I lived on my own. A lot of things were going well. And I was like, I want to date women who are forward thinking. Like, I started to travel at this point. I started to even do bits of self-development at this point as well. You know, 23 years old. And I was like, I want to meet women who are can come on this ride with me that I'm thinking of like, mm. you know, when I was 23, I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. But like, I want to travel the world. I want to see things. I want to do things. And I, mean, I, I want to, my, my thing's always been experience. I like to experience things. And I found that I wasn't meeting women that were in, interested in that. I was meeting women at 23 years old who just want to get party, get drunk, get fucked up and buy new handbags. And it was just uninteresting to me. So like many men, I picked up the game at the time. And it was uh, an eye-opening book, eye-opening read. And then somehow I found myself at like a seminar, which turned into a boot camp, which turned into me me teaching on this guy's boot camps for a year, year and a half. And it's funny because when we think of like the PUA movement, it's always seen very, very negatively. And the group of guys that I talked with, we had this way of being that was about fun enjoyment, bringing people into our fun that we were having when we were bar, club, on the street. And it was never really about manipulation. Mm. Actually, for most of us, it wasn't even about sex. Mm. It was like, we want to have fun. Like, if you are a guy and you're fun, come join our fun. If you're a woman you want to join our fun, join our fun. And if there is some chemistry, great. We'll get along and maybe it goes somewhere. But if it isn't, great. We've all had fun. Um, So I was teaching in that for a while, for about a year and a half, as well as doing my tech job. And that was a lot. That was really eye-opening. So it's probably the first time I'd been around a group of men where we were trying to grow together and be better. So there was a lot of like, hey, man, like, do you see where you lied to that woman? You didn't need to do that. Like, don't do that. Like, you could just been honest. You could just Mm. been like, this is what you do for a living or blah, blah, blah. And people were like, yeah, true. Or I think you've got this thing around confidence and you try and mask it with other things. So there was a lot of like really, I remember a really beautiful conversation in Miami in a pool with one of the guys. And he's just like, oh, I feel like I've reached this ceiling. Like I can meet women, go on dates. We sleep together, but I can't get into relationship. And I was like, if I'm really honest with you, your life doesn't have any substance. And he was just like, oh, I was like, but you don't do anything. You just go out and you party and you chat with women. You need some hobbies. You need the life behind all this stuff to be someone and he took it and was really like thank you and mm. years later I saw him and he was like I still remember that conversation in mm. Nepal he was like it was one of the best conversations I had so I went through all that I stopped that at a point because there was a point where I started to coach men who I don't feel had a love for women like I always had a deep love for women I've got three sisters and raised by my mother so I wanted to work with people like that and I'm this. I remember three guys who weren't and I was like I'm done I'm mm. out of this I don't want to do this I don't want to be with men like this So that kind of coincided with this part of me that started to really seek independence in my life. Yeah, I lived alone, but there was this part of my mother that I could see that was trying to kind of hold on to me to be a certain way that she wanted. And it was probably a point of about three years where me and my mum barely spoke. My mum lives like where I was living before, like an hour away. No, sorry, an hour away, like five minutes away down the road. And we didn't speak for pretty much two or three years because there was this part of her I could feel that was like, wanting me to stay as her child, who would do what she wanted, who would even emotionally manipulate me and my older sister especially. And then there's also this piece of my life where my dad is, he's physically around, my parents aren't together, right? I'm currently staying in his house, he's flat actually, Um, while he's in Jamaica, but he was emotionally not there. He had no real interest, to be honest. Like he wasn't the sort of dad that would call me up and go, how are you doing? what's going on with you? How are you feeling? What do you enjoy? What do you Mm. like? A 25 years old, he had no idea about me. (coughs) So, fast forward, I've gone through lots of relationships that didn't work because I wasn't communicating. I couldn't say how I was feeling. I wasn't, I would invalidate my girlfriend's emotions all the time. I would minimize everything. I'd want everything to be about facts. Mm. Like, I didn't say that in that way. So, I'm not having this discussion. Over. Um, Coupled with my own infidelity Lying, um, which is not a good cocktail for a relationship, mm. right? And I have a strong reality, so I'd be like, "You're wrong, I'm right," and I'm not having this conversation. Mm. And then when I kind of got bored of the the grief and the annoyance, I'd be like, "This is over, goodbye." Or I wouldn't really end the relationship; I would just kind of do things that would cause them to end the relationship. I did that too many times, and I think that there came a point. Uh, I went traveling with one of my ex girlfriends, and we our relationship disintegrated, and it really come down to the fact that. I wasn't happy about certain aspects of the relationship, but I wouldn't tell her because I was scared to upset her. Because I knew that she was with me, and if I upset her, then she'd be upset, and I'd have to deal with the upset. So it was a kind of avoidance there. We broke up, and I remember being in a hotel room in uh, Bolivia. It's called the Green Hotel. I remember it. All white walls. Um, <laughs> I always thought strange. It was called the Green Hotel. And I was crying in bed. She'd left. I was just like, and I vowed to myself, I'm not letting that happen again. I'm not letting this happen again in a relationship so I did some ayahuasca a few maybe a month or so later which was always on the cards but blew a lot of what I call like emotional debris that had been weighing me down and stopping me from expressing stopping me from saying things stopping from probably connecting with people in certain ways that were more healthy but more authentic mm. less about how I think I should be acting you know being this kind of like cold and aloof um, man which I was very good at and was very in many ways, unfortunately, it was very, um, I wouldn't say well-received, but it, it got me results, you know? If you're talking about sleeping with women and, and getting attention, it worked. So I kind of traveled and was just like, really real with people. I just wanted to connect, like, cut the bullshit conversation. Who are you? What's going on to you? And then I came back from my travels and I saw that four of my friends came to visit me over the course of about two weeks and three of them burst into tears crying when I asked them, how are you? I remember being in Bounce in Holborn and one of my friends, I was like, we stood at the bar, he'd just come in and I said, how are you? And he started to cry. And it was like this weird force field where for about an hour and a half, we talked at the bar in Bounce on a Thursday night, but no one came within a meter of us. <laughs> Everybody just kind of went around and he was just telling me that, you know, he'd gone through divorce, he'd been really unhappy, really depressed. So I kind of saw that men were unhappy you know, they weren't kind of living the lives they weren't wanted to. I could see for myself that, you know, at this point, probably like five years ago, that my work wasn't making me happy. I didn't enjoy my job. It paid me well. It paid me well. It let me live my lifestyle, but it wasn't It wasn't enough at that point. My travel taught me that I need more meaning in my life. So there's this area of like, I want better relationships. And I want more meaning. Um. So I guess the last five years for me is about creating meaning, which was, I'm good with people. I've always been good with people. People like to listen to me. <laughs> like I have good, not necessarily advice, but because advice isn't necessarily coaching, but I am able to look at what people are doing and saying and like give them a lens. on like. it. Um, So I kind of ran with that, you know. I've had coaches. I've basically had a coach for the last four years in a row, actually. Different people. And one of them said to me one day <laughs> during our coaching session, probably about four or five years ago, this goes to me. I can see for you, it's like an intuitive coach. He goes, I can see for you, what you're meant to do is take men who were where you were maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago and help them along their journey. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> that was my response to him. And he was like, it's not a choice, man. This is what's in your path. Mm. And I was like, well, I don't like it. And he was like, fine, doesn't matter. <laughs> and here I am today. So, It really came from my own pain and the fact that like, when I looked at a lot of the things I was doing, the way I was being, especially around relationships, it wasn't because of our choice. It was because this is how I thought I was meant to be as a man. And then I started to question those things more and more. Like, oh, do I have to be stoic? What does stoic mean? Hmm. You know, we have this big misconception about stoicism, I think. Stoic means to be like quiet and broody and not talk about how you feel. And actually stoicism is a lot about analyzing your emotions and your feelings and really getting to the depth of them and feeling them Mm -hmm. and then coming out the other end, which isn't the stoicism we see now in men. So I started to just look at it, Mm -hmm. challenge it, do workshops, do go to events and move through that and go, oh, there isn't this one way to be a man. And actually, if I start to just decide how I want to be, that is far more joyful, which kind of led me to leaving my full-time job, my 16 year career in tech which was probably a hard decision to make because it was mid-COVID as well. So, (laughs) Yeah. You know, so yeah, so it was a big, big journey. It's a lot of different parts, but mainly, you know, relationships has been a big big spur for that. Mm. It's been, relationships have been really painful for me. Relationships have never been easy for me. Even now it's been, and also my relationship now has been probably probably the most healthy and healing relationship I've ever been in. Mm. Like it's been hard. It's been really fucking hard at times, actually. Never, people should never believe that relationships can be easy. It won't be. If it's too easy, then it's likely to end, yeah. or is actually going badly underneath and no one's mm. acknowledging it. But this has been hard, but it's also been massive mm. learning as well. Amazing. I'm interested because I've, I know
2: you and I have held many conversations, but mm. just on that piece around at what point, you know, your lens shifted to your own masculinity. What is yours? For me, yeah, for-
3: I really loved what David opened with around sort of all of this being born out of my own pain. Mm-hmm. I think um, it was a sort of re- reverse analysis in a way of of being sat, um, you know, sort of tragically at a pub with my friends from school, some of which I'd known for sort of 15 to 20 years, mourning the death of one of our friends by suicide. Mm. And that was six months into my first ever you know course of therapy and me really getting to grips with my own struggles because I was I was deep in my own anxiety and panic attacks and and my own mental health challenges at that point and then that happened yeah and I was sat there just going what is it uniquely about being male that has led us here and has led me here and sort of looking back at um I think almost looking back through a lens of but but I've got privilege, why am I suffering? And mm-hmm. then actually looking at some of the things that maybe came out of apparent privilege that led me to repress emotions, that led me into situations, circles, experiences that encouraged that traditional sort of patriarchal masculinity that yeah. then compounded into just like this shrinking and this numbing and this, um, yeah. yeah, sort of emotional castration kind of in a way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I try and always look at it through a lens of okay, my experiences as a person, but also at what point does masculinity lead into that? Um, mm. And I'm still looking at things, like still looking at little bits and pieces from my past. Um, I was talking to my dad the other day about how when I was, I think I was five, I wanted to do ballet, and his words um, were, no son of mine. Um, and like, it's a small thing. It's from his era. Yeah. It's just that kind of older... More traditional, slightly. If we want to use the word, that hurts toxic. to hear. Yeah, mm. and I just, I then look look back at it, and I look at, you know, s- subtle things like I never wear much color. Mm. I'm like, okay, why? And I start looking back, and I lo- like look through mm. past experiences as to why why I've chosen to embody like that sort of grey man persona in how I dress, mm. and how I speak, and how I express. And I've enjoyed over the last. Probably six months connecting to an element of it's not big big stuff, but like subtle flamboyances mm. and subtle expressions of non-traditional expectations of what it is to be a man. <laughs> and so I think I, I'm, I'm it's now a curiosity rather than anything else. Like I'm just like, wow, that's so interesting. How can I,
4: yeah,
3: how can I reconnect? And it's a lot of reconnection to to childlike elements of of boyishness and and sort of those. Bigger, broader expressions
2: of, of masculinity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You used a term there that I thought was stunning, mate emotional castration. Mm, yeah. I, I, yeah, I got a, like semi as I said <laughs> <I'm sorry.
4: laughs> I
2: loved it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah how, mm. how about you, mate? I've forgotten how similar you and I are in our yeah, story. Um, you know, we've had this ever since you and I connected on your podcast for the first time. And we, you, you know, before that conversation, you and I hadn't spoke. And then we sat and chatted on your podcast for an hour and a bit. We just suddenly went, oh, my God, we're the same person. We have so much similarity. Um, yeah, mine was a, a journey of my own mental health. Um, had been for about four years when, you know, I'd had my first breakdown. Um, that was triggered by, yeah, relationships and a complete loss of identity. Didn't know who the, who the fuck I was, where the fuck I was. And... Going on a yeah, going on a journey with that, and and really just reflecting on what my mental health was, mm-hmm. and beginning to get close to that and examine that, and then yeah, four years later, summer of twenty eighteen, out of nowhere, my, my buddy Harry just ended his own life, mm-hmm. and the perspective shifted, mm-hmm. and it was suddenly, okay, h- how did this happen? Um, I, I was quite. I don't know if fortunate was the right word, but not not to internalise it and not to really, you know, punish myself and do the whole "what did I miss? How could I have mm. done more?" and and you know all of that sort of stuff. But I asked those questions, yeah, in a more curious, you know, way. Like, how did how did we miss this? You know, what's going on here? And and that perspective just shifted mm. to um, that perspective just shifted to men's mental health as opposed to just my own. Mm. And then it sort of just became a well, as we look at that, how much do I relate to that? Um, and then I'd say the other big factor was, you know, David, you briefly mentioned your relationship with your father. Mm. Um, I started really looking into and understanding my relationship to myself through the lens of the relationship I have with my father. Mm. Um, on my 30th birthday, um, I walked away from a relationship with my dad, um, who it was one of the most confusing experiences of my life because my dad had always tried so hard, and he was always there. Mm. He always had great intention. But I always just found myself hurting as a result of his behavior, his presence, his mm. actions, his words. Got you. Mm. And it was so confusing, the moment where he... It was it was the day of my 30th birthday. Something happened, which on the surface it took me a long time to actually be able to articulate the depths of what it was, not just the surface layer, you know, of, of, well, he said this and it made me feel like this. I didn't understand it. I didn't know why in those moments I was so, so fucking devastated. I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it Mm. whatsoever. And it took me, yeah, the best part of two years before I even wanted or could, could imagine wanting to have a conversation with him. Mm. I didn't want him in my life. Um, but that was part of my healing. Yeah.
4: Mm.
2: That grief and that process was—I'd um, learned to witness the parts in myself that I had cultivated shame over throughout my life. I realized that a lot of them came from my from my dad. Mm. Um, and yeah, I went on a grieving and a healing process. I grieved, you know, the, the all of the the years that I'd hated myself. I grieved the version of my dad that I had been holding in my mind that was not there Mm. Um, yeah I grieved the relationship that I had I I wished I'd had Mm. and yeah that just uh, it was it was one of the most amazing experiences when he 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 reached out to me again it was September of last year Mm. and yeah in his own way sort of said you know are you ready to reconnect yet and it had been four or five months since um, Ibiza which was my Mm. first uh, first psychedelic experience you know kind of like conscious and intentional ceremonial psychedelic you know experience and that was like a four or five month period where i'd really been like oh my god actually i could be opening to this i could be finding compassion and forgiveness and and really just accepting him and loving him for the man he is beautiful rather than the dad i wished he was yeah Mm. so um yeah that was yeah and through a lot of inner child work which is now what Mm. i do with you know my clients and um like you said, David, as well, I suddenly realized that that was my journey was to just start working with and seeing the healing that I had done in other people and just mm. taking them and helping them on that journey. Mm, so so it's, led me into, yeah, it's led me into purpose. It's led me into, mm. yeah, just a, a new life and a new, a new version of myself. And yeah, the work's always there to continue being done. And that's never ending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that brings, brings us all here.
1: Absolutely. Can I just say that that was a very beautiful kind of going around. yeah, mm, yeah. And I think it's just like, as men, a lot of the times we don't always speak so honestly mm, about yeah. stuff, um, and all the stuff about fathers and kind of reflecting about how we look yeah. in them. Mm-hmm. I recently went to Jamaica and I, with my and I spent time with my granddad. Granddad is ninety one, oh. and there's something so, something so important about just looking at your. Mm-hmm grandparent mm. and then looking at your dad if you're like if you're fortunate enough to be able to do so and you're looking at them and you're just like i see me and you and yeah him and them and just going forward and i just think it but also you also see the flaws and if you're not going and you have to start somewhere yeah mm. so having the courage to step away mm. and kind of deal with what you had to deal with and kind of recognize that it's so courageous. Yeah. Thank you, it. yeah. it's just, yeah. And then reflecting
2: on us all just sharing that there. Yeah. Like this shit, like this is it, right? This mm. is the stuff that matters. Yeah, just man. sitting in a space amongst men, sharing this stuff, sharing the reflections. I mean, I think we've, we've all shared quite conscious reflections and recollections of our, you know, our journeys into masculinity and our journeys mm. into this work, right? So, but in these environments, you know, the questions can come up. Mm-hmm. You can get, we can all get curious and we can probe and we can yeah. kind of lovingly encourage each other to go deeper and consider different perspectives around this stuff. I think it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I
3: think the the last point that I want to make on that from my side is um, something that I noticed in myself as I was looking at my relationship with my dad, which mm. was for so many oh, years. Boy. Yeah, so mm. like That's a big one. Mm. after, so my, my dad left my mum when I was 15 yeah. and I put that down as probably sort of, big t trauma of Mm. of my life you know i've sat in therapy and talked about it and um, that's been the thing that i I can look back on as the start of a lot of challenges that i faced and a lot of of patterns that emerged Um, and i realized that probably for 10 11 years after that i was rejecting the idea of my dad so much that i actually in turn rejected my own masculinity Mm. Because I couldn't, I couldn't, (laughs) I didn't have that. I wasn't allowing myself to have that masculine role model because I didn't want to have that relationship or hold a connection to that relationship. And it's only been, I loved, I can't remember who said it. It was one of you two (laughs) um, (laughs) about not seeing them. I think it was you saying not seeing them as the dad that you wish they were, but seeing them as the man That that they are. Yeah, And it's that, that, maturing of your own perspective to say okay this isn't dad as superman or expected superman this is Stuart as bloke yeah. as man <laughs> yeah. with yeah. flaws with all of this like life experience and mm. uh, yeah what you said about kind of looking at your granddad really touched me as well because mm. my my dad's dad i never met he, he died mm-hmm. by suicide um oh, wow. okay. well before i was born um and that's played all kinds of kind of thoughts in my mind around like my relationship to masculinity and mental health mm. um so yeah it's it's such an interesting one but just through that shift in perspective and and kind of in my own way reconnecting with my relationship with my dad i've noticed me reconnecting with my own connection to my masculinity yeah um and that's been that's been fascinating because there was one I had a really interesting kind of spiritual experience where um, I saw myself as a father, mm. and I'd never had that before because I'd rejected the connection to my own father, and so the mm. idea of I being don't a want father to be was... like him,
2: so therefore I don't want to be a father. <laughs> yeah. Exactly,
3: mm. exactly, yeah. and rejecting it so hard that you can't even imagine being a father because the idea of father is so
0: foreign to you. Mm. Um, yeah, so. Um... It's so, uh, what's it called? It's so wounding, mm. you know, like I can really resonate with you saying about um, rejecting a father. Like I didn't even want to talk, talk to my dad for years. And it almost feels a bit of a double whammy because my mum got remarried when I was eight years old. And I had, I remember not consciously as an eight year old, but when I look at it now, I kind of thought this man would be the father I never had. Mm. And then he was also a massive disappointment. <laughs> mm. So my whole relationship to fathering, like I was for many years, I was like, I'm never having kids. Mm -hmm. I refuse to acknowledge Mm -hmm. I'm having kids and it really only only after healing a relationship with my dad and just realising like like you both said like he's never going to be the dad I want him to be he's only going to be the dad that I have Mm. and when I accept him as he is Mm. I can actually love him much easier Mm -hmm. Mm. and instead of me wanting him to say different things every time I see him and just accept that he's saying what he's saying because of the experience that he's had and the you know fuck my my both sides of my family, there's like fatherlessness that goes back three generations. Mm. Like fathers who weren't really around for three generations. So there's no one that even knows what it's like to have a dad around in the house. Mm. And when I really sat with that, I was like, it's not even his fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even his fault the way he is. He's just, he's a product of his environment and he had no access to the tools that we have now. And once I could really be with that, when he used to give me stupid advice, I could just smile and laugh with Mm. him about it. Mm. And our relationship is infinitely better. we might not even talk that often mm. you know? I don't even talk to him that much but when we do talk I listen to his stories I ask him questions about his life it's just meant that I can have a relationship with this man instead of just having anger because mm. mm-hmm. that's what was there before I was just angry all the time when he mm-hmm. oh he's calling me oh fucking idiot what's he calling me for <laughs> Yeah, pick up the phone and being passive aggressive all the time it's mm-hmm. just like that doesn't really the only person that really hurts is me mm-hmm. yeah wow okay <laughs>
1: no because I'm thinking about it and I'm like so I don't know what you were like did you were your parents together? Um, so
2: my parents separated when I was 16 Wow. my mum left my dad (laughs) separated at birth Um, (laughs) and yeah I mean even even to this day one of the you know don't get me wrong I've healed a lot around my relationship with my dad but my dad still I'm trying to I'm trying to help him take responsibility for his part in what caused the breakdown mm. of the relationship.
1: So I grew up, my my, I, my parents are together. Mm. And
0: I you're like one of the only black and people I, I know where their parents are together. <laughs> and I was just about to because you know when you <laughs> said you're, you go back to you know, like yeah, I yeah.
1: When I look, because I had to sit down for, like before I went to therapy, and, through therapy and kind of, through my own thing, I had to sit down and take stock yeah. of life. And most of my life people have said, your life is not normal. And I'm like, huh? What do you mean? I have cousins who I'm like very, very um specifically close with, very close with my siblings. Like most of my family I grew up with um stable relationships. So mm-hmm. all of my cousins were like parents together married for XYZ amount of time or XYZ. But the one thing that I noticed a lot of the time was how daughters interacted with their mums and how sons interacted with their dads and whether their dads and the fact that the perspective i have is that my dad was there Mm. but it's the physical presence and not necessarily the emotional presence for particular amount of years exactly the same that is the issue so the reality of me being able to walk away get myself together then come back to the relationship was mm. never an option for me. Mm, sure. Physically, mm-hmm. I would have to, and I did make a decision because we, we're clashing a lot, especially during the lockdown, we're clashing a lot. We're very similar in when it, comes, when it comes to certain things and the temperament, there's a lot of clashing. And I know how to communicate how I feel about stuff. Yep. And he doesn't necessarily know how to do that. So it's mm. always a challenge yep. typically, mm. but it's I'm kind of wearing him down. Him yeah. Down. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I had to kind of make a decision and say, I can't keep doing that. Mm, yep. I can't keep doing that. And I'm going to have to make a decision of, I've got to emotionally distance myself from the situation. I yeah. can be there, mm. but I can't be fully in it yep. in some ways because I'm doing myself harm. And that's it. Yeah. Because I can't physically leave the situation mm. that I'm in. Yeah. So what do I do? I've only got one mother and one father. Yeah. And they're there. And I need to figure out, how I can kind of end like continue a relationship with them yeah. and grow as well at the same time, and it's just mm. a mm. it's a tricky thing to think. So hearing all of your experiences and stuff, I can kind of, yeah yeah nice to hear that um yeah that moment of
2: where you have that inner dialogue and you say to yourself, I can't I can't do this in this way anymore. Um, yeah, that happened. I, I I had that with my dad. When was it? july august 2019 which was you know just under a year before i walked away and you know i was i was living with him at the time and again arbitrary argument over something that, that really wasn't that important right usually is always and it was in that moment where i felt so deeply hurt and i was you know pondering and thinking about what do i do here i said myself said to myself exactly the same thing I said, if I'm lucky, if I'm really, really lucky, I could have... It was my dad's 60th birthday. Again, it's weird that it something really drastic happened on his 60th, something really drastic happened on my 30th. Um, I said, I, if I'm lucky, I'll get 20 years left of him on the, on the planet.
4: Mm.
2: If I'm really lucky. And if I don't try and do something, you know, if and when I ever have children, I'm not going to want them to have a relationship with their grandfather. Uh-huh uh i'm i'm just i'm not going to want him involved in my life their lives and so i then spent the next 10 11 months trying to fix or trying to figure it out but it's a relationship right mm. i didn't involve my dad in that i didn't have the words or the awareness or the understanding of what the wounds were and how it was showing up and how it was impacting me at that point So that caused that, that just under a year caused me so much pain Mm. and it was where the pain grew and grew and grew because it was like, I was trying to be more understanding of him and I was trying to let certain things go. And I was trying to, yeah, like, I think I was trying to accept him, but I really didn't, I hadn't learned to accept the parts of him that I see in myself. So it was just like, every time he would act out or say something, it just, I blew up. I couldn't, I was hurting and I was like, why aren't you, why isn't this getting easier? Why is this not getting easier? Because I'm trying to fix this. But obviously a relationship takes two people invested Mm. to try and fix it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting because I'm actually now, even having gone back into the relationship, um, you know, on my terms, uh, I'm now seeing also, I'm seeing the same stuff come up for him. Um, And I'm feeling like I need to do it again. You know, I'm always, but, but again, it's, it's sitting down and having that conversation, isn't it? It's actually being able mm. to explain to him yeah. from a, from your heart, like, this is hurting me. Mm. Um, I understand you. Because I think that was the big thing that shifted for me was when I started considering where my dad's wounds came from. Mm. Um, yeah. And being One, able to... Yeah, once like, you get that. Yeah. And you're like,
1: oh, mm-hmm. okay, so now we can, now we can start yeah, navigating this properly.
2: Yeah. it's yeah. a It's a huge, huge piece, isn't it? When you can see it in, you, yeah you, you just go hang on a minute mm. fuck out how did they get hurt? Mm. They're, they're doing this yeah. they've done this to me whether they m- meant to or didn't whether they knew about it didn't they did yeah. it but how's that happened what, yeah. what must have they have been through mm. yeah. I think it also changes the dynamic
3: as well because it's sort of at that point or there are a couple of ways to get to that point where I certainly found this myself where because they're the parent mm. you're waiting for them to, to make the move they to believe. do the fixing because they should they should know how to they should know better they mm. should know better they all of a sudden more experienced in exactly life. exactly mm. and then all of a sudden once you start you open your eyes to their wounds their life experience it it almost in a way levels the playing yeah. field yeah. slightly mm. to say okay I can take some responsibility here
2: and you step out of being a kid mm. Mm. and the thing is that they often they've often hidden that from you so they mm. haven't told you about the wounds. Nah. They haven't opened up. Like I, I remember in the conversation where I reconnected with my dad in October, I went, Dad, I know nothing about your childhood. Mm. I know nothing. You've never told me a single story. Um, my dad's father died before I was born. Mm. Um, not from suicide, but, you know, again, a lack of a relationship there. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, I don't know anything about your relationship with your dad. You've never told me a fun, like a fun, loving story. Because apparently there weren't any. Mm-hmm. It's
1: quite a cold relationship. I had an argument with mine. And, and it was only because the, the question was this, did you have any mentors growing up? Mm. That was the, and that was the, that, and it wasn't even about trying to figure out what he's doing, was mm. working on something else. Yeah. And we ended up in this really intense thing where I was level, but I began mm. to escalate with him yeah. because I'm like, this is just not where I needed, this is not what I wanted it to be. And Why do we keep having this thing? Mm. And um but then I started to and then you start to think about what he's actually said, and it's just there was nobody there to guide him in that way. My granddad was there. Mm. My granddad had loads of children. Or to the one or to the one person. One woman. Yes. This what I'm saying. We never like
0: <laughs> Andy's Jamaican. Like, we, like it, wow. wasn't, it wasn't like
1: okay. <laughs> I mean, there was a Anyway, <laughs> 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 but, but generally, generally, like he had all his children in his house. Oh. they were there oh. in the house, yeah. And um, there were loads. People got overlooked.
0: Hmm.
1: People got Ooh. left behind, and people got and, okay. had, and as the, you know, part of the West Indian experience is mm. kids were left behind in Jamaica, yeah. or the Trinidad or wherever, and then they were never brought over to a family of their parents, but they were raised by their grandparents mm-hmm. on the island. They come to the UK, mm. to their parents, who they don't know. Yeah. To siblings who they've never met. Yeah. And then they have to integrate themselves into this thing in the British way. Mm. And they are God. not British. Well, technically, you know, culturally, yeah. they are Jamaican, Trinidadian, Cielician, mm. or wherever. Yeah. So now they've got to try and... and now, But then they're also the older siblings. So now they've got a responsibility of being older siblings to four other siblings below them my dad was the first born here mm. so then attention moves I and mean, then you just gotta look at and i started thinking wow when you start piecing things together and start thinking to yourself actually this is deeper than it is but you but the masculinity thing growing up in a particular mm. time and era you mask that because you yeah. just have to crack on and yeah. get on with stuff there's yeah. no time to sit down and be like and consider your position especially as a black person yeah, yeah. you have to get from A to B without being attacked in the street yeah. <laughs> you have to get to A to B and get paid yeah. and you know so the time isn't there yeah
0: it's you funny to sit down with that you got to you reckon <laughs> it's funny because you say like that that piece around the kind of wind rush generation mm. my my I only heard the story from my dad recently fully I was on the phone to him before just before I went on holiday actually he called me up and I just said oh I just like, I, every time I speak to him I'll ask him a few more questions. Because what I realized, like my dad—I'd grew up being scared of asking him questions, because he'd always kind of come across as an aggressive character, but not through any violence or shouting. But he'd just go silent and look at you a certain way. But I realized in the last five, ten years, that if I ask him questions, he'll answer them. He'll just he'll answer them, but just go out and just got to kind of push the questions. And I guess being a coach also helps. So I said to him, I was like, oh. You know, did your dad send for you? There's this idea that if you were born in, say, Jamaica, for instance, and you're one of your parents left, or usually one of them. So what happened? My granddad yeah. came to England. I don't know what year, and left my dad in Jamaica with his mum. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Did he send for you?" Which is like, "Did he send for you to come and live with him?" My dad was like, "No, they he sent for the send, wife first. No, yeah? he didn't even send for her." Oh, That's just with this story, like. So when my my. Granddad went over to the UK. Come to come to England, he came, and my dad's mum sold a load of cows and goats to pay for his fare. Like, this is old school, man. Selling cows and goats. Right?
1: I've got a funny story about goats. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there.
0: Sold a load of cows and goats for him to come over here, and then my dad, my granddad, sent for his two siblings. Mm. My One of my uncles And my aunts But not for my dad And not for one of my other aunts My dad When he got to a certain age Paid for his own fare To come to the UK Right And then obviously comes And my, my granddad's got Another three kids Which he knew about But It's like Wait And then I stopped and thought How rejected would you feel mm. Your own Your father Sent for your other siblings Right Brother and sister But not you And I said to him he never sent for you. He was like, nope. And it was the tone of the no that was like, that's the words. Mm-hmm. 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 You, your dad wasn't there. Your granddad was a miserable man who didn't want anything to do with you, mm-hmm. any any children in general. And I was like, that is the impact, mm-hmm. right? That, that has. And like, until you ask these questions, you don't really know. You just think yeah. they're assholes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's yeah. easier to think that, yeah. right? It's, easy, it's always easier to think someone is bad and malicious instead yeah. of they've been hurt themselves. Yeah. Because it's, if I say, oh, he's an asshole, he's a bad father and he should know better, then I don't have to go into compassion, really. I can just stay in anger and resentment. Blame, label, move on. Yeah, yeah. Super easy, you're done with it. But when I, so since I've had to go into this compassion of like, oh man, he was, his dad wasn't around, his dad rejected him. Like, how would he know how to be a father? There was no books, Mm. there was no podcasts. Like, he didn't really have any friends around him who could be like, oh no, like, this is a better way to be. He just said to himself, let me be better than my dad, Mm. right? And he was better than his dad, Mm. By my standards, maybe it, it wasn't good enough, but he was better. And it's when we start to get into this kind of dynamics of our fathers. It's like, man, like, what was it like for them? Yeah. And we ask that question and we sit with it and go, what was it like for them? What would it feel like if I put myself in their shoes? Mm. Would it have been like for them to grow up in the era they did? Because, like, it's a different era, man. Like, a really, really different era. Like, imagine your parent, your, pet, your, your father is halfway around the world... Mm. And the only way you speak to him is through letter, right? Letters. (laughs) Letters. Can you imagine? Or when he comes back, like, Mm. every five to seven years, right? So you have no no fatherly role model. You grew up with your mother on the top of a hill in the middle of, like, in Jamaica. Like, that's tough. Mm. That's hard. And I never really, really acknowledged that until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I start to piece together, like, okay, why is my dad the way he is? Well, no one... His mother was like pretty cold as well. Cause she was a hardened woman, you know. She had to like raise four kids. Like she can't read and write. Mm. Wow. You know? Like she had to raise four kids. She couldn't read and write. So she could be the father and the mother. She was almost. like a farm <laughs> woman who like she was hard as nails. She they didn't even call her mum. They called her by her name. Mm. You know, it's like all these things you think, oh God, no wonder the man can't like express an emotion, because no one in his life ever mm. did. Mm. When he grew up, he never had anyone to say, I love you. Like, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling happy. When my grandma died, it was the first time I'd ever seen my dad and thought, he looks really sad. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's just kind of neutral or mildly happy. Um, so, so many things start to make sense, but you have to be able to be willing to put yourself in their shoes and have some compassion. Because before you do that, you just blame, you're just angry, you're mm-hmm. just resentful. Um, and and you and you can be resentful Ooh. and you can be angry. Like that, that's the thing. It's oh,
1: about yeah. saying that you can do mm-hmm. that. You can. It's just about how long you sit in it yeah. and what it, and what it does to you, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, allow you yourself know? to feel it. You got to feel but, it, but feel it, express it, let it go. Yeah, and then by mm-hmm. the go. You got to have a
0: container for it. Something I've mm-hmm. really taken on the last year or so is like, it's good for us to all express emotions, but we have to put some container around it, right? Because Otherwise, you're just wallowing for endless, endless amounts of time. And obviously, there's sometimes you might have a container for a few days and you might or a few hours and then a, a week later some more comes up. But you've got to kind of encase it, but you've got to really express it in those moments. And it might mm. be alone, it might be with a therapist, it might be with some friends, it might be through movement. Like I've really embraced embodiment more and mm. more. And it really works, it really helps. So it's like I know when we talk about feeling more, I know a lot of people go to that other extreme of like, oh my God, I'm just gonna be falling apart for years on end. Well, no, if you put containers around it through those points, give yourself a space to express and then reflect, it's a lot more of a kind of healthy process.
2: I'm sat here just yeah, that's amazing. And I love that, yeah, that intentionality behind expression. Mm. Um, because otherwise there's just it's 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 borderless. It's just all over
1: the place mm. and it's Chaotic? Yeah. Chaotic, yeah. So there's a theory um, around the purpose of fathers in a traditional setup, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're together or separate. But the, but the idea, especially with boys, is to help them understand the boundaries and limits to their emotionality mm-hmm. and to their life. But what we're actually experiencing a lot of the time is when you have experiences of fatherlessness, and they've had experience of fatherlessness, and then they've had experience of fatherlessness, or there are you know and or it's just an unhealthy mm. relationship mm. with the children. and in the relationship itself, it when it comes to a child regulating their emotions and actually knowing what the bounds and the limits are, and knowing what they're not necessarily what they're allowed to, but how far they can go with it and how not how far they can't go with it. that's usually where the father or the more paternal parent, comes in to yeah. then help regulate that when that's not there mm. we grow up and we are like how do we how do i express yeah my my feelings mm. i'm angry where does it go if it's boundless anger yeah. yeah that ends up with what we're seeing today with a lot of young men and boys yeah if it's boundless stuff that you just can't as you said with the container it's just oh. the container thing that triggered that thought in my head mm. If there's none, if, if the container's too tight, then you feel repressed. If mm. it's too open and there's no bounds, then yep. it's there's, it's out of control. It's like a fire. Yeah. But it's all about knowing when, but with typically the idea, that theory is that, and that's by um, Warren Farrell. It's the, it's when you it's when you know when to put the fire out. Mm. You know, the fire can't be on, the fire can't nice. be out all night. Yeah. Because yeah. it can cause a wildfire. Yeah but let's turn the fire, let's put the fire out now mm. and let's go about our day. But if, And that's the kind of stuff.
3: It's fascinating. I think like as you were talking there, I think it's, I was almost seeing like this generational misunderstanding of emotional regulation uh. where it's actually the, the role of the father was to uh, model emotional regulation and um, whether it's the war, whether it's, you know, trauma, whether it's wounding, whatever the cause, it's gone from, Modeling how to regulate, to modeling how to repress, yeah. right. and it's the difference between control and regulation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the missing piece in a lot of ways. Is actually how do we teach children, gender irrespective, mm-hmm. how to healthily regulate emotions so that it's non, it's not boundless, but
1: it's not yeah. so constrained and restricted that it goes into repression. And it only works when you work in tandem with your partner mm-hmm. who's raising the children with you. Yes, it's it's not the you know I mean like you said about the ballet situation Mm. and what Mm. you've said and you know i mean it's like when it when one is outweighing the other that's when there becomes an imbalance in the thing and then you start ruling with fear and then yeah it doesn't want to say what they want to do whatnot Mm. and both if there's a mutual respect between both parties who have created the life yeah Mm. and then they're both raising child healthily. There's going to be misunderstandings, but it's about yeah. respecting that and being like, okay, cool, this is what I'm here to do. It's what you're here to do. How do we work together to then raise these children? It's mm-hmm. teamwork. But yep. That's all nice and well and good. <laughs> but then you step outside and you've got to then face all that shit and crap Like as a man you know, at work, outside, and then, you know, the mum or whoever has to deal with that crap outside of the and then they come home and it's like not everyone's coming home to be able to sit down and do mindful yeah. exercises with one another and understand <laughs> yeah. and like some people they just do not have the the resources they do mm. not have they do not feel like they have the time and that's when you have to start thinking okay I understand how we get here mm. but let's just uh, it's just figuring out how we can change that um, yeah. you know but it's just yeah it's going to be a, a spiky road but mm. for sure
2: I'm interested in you know we talk about this we've been talking about fatherlessness right and I think something that just really strikes me is this concept of, of, yeah, like, like physical absence versus emotional absence. We talked about that, you know, I reflect on my my dad being, again, that was one of the, the, the big journeys that I went on was recognizing just how my emotional, like my anger and my relationship to my anger. Um, it took me until, yeah, like 30, 31 to realize that what I see in myself is actually exactly the same in my dad. And if I reflected, if I went back, as, if I traced it back and I went as far back as I could, my dad was there in so many moments where I needed that emotional support and mm. guidance on how to express. Mm. And what I was met with, because he had never healed his wound around his anger and he had not had the guidance, mm. it was just coming down. And all I was met with was, anger Mm. i was met with my anger triggered his anger and it shut me down Mm. and i became frightened of my dad and my dad's anger but then in default i became frightened of my own anger Mm. and i I also then became hyper vigilant and hyper sensitive to my anger and the impact it has on anyone around me
1: Mm -hmm. um yeah so can, it can go two ways yeah. one way is the hyper empathetic mm. because you're trying to balance the emotional life around other people which is yeah. where I went mm-hmm. the other side is the narcissistic which is everybody must serve me because mm. I and I need to be able to to do I need I need that attention yeah. in that way so you can and that's why narcissism and empathy are in the same kind of they're just opposite mm-hmm. sides of the same coin yeah, yeah. And, they can, and that's why they work and so that you're trying to balance everybody's thing because you're afraid. I was yeah. afraid of my anger, scared. I'd know it. I know. like, and I'm, when I was angry, and I've seen red mist of like I've got into fights and I've done stuff. And I'm a pretty calm person, <laughs> like, yeah. and I'm and I've always like don't provoke me to anger. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's one of those where I'm like, okay, cool. But growing, but growing we up at secondary school, I was like, I was like. Scared. I didn't want to be that mm. guy. Mm. That was because there were guys in my year who were just angry all the time, and I was frightened of my anger. I'd seen what my dad was like when he was angry. I'd seen what other men were like when they were angry, and it was just not something that I wanted to do. But I was afraid of myself getting angry, so everything was fine. Yeah, everything yeah. was fine. Oh, everything's fine. It's cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. Until one day you raise your voice and it's, oh my god, he's so angry. Why are you so angry? angry. What have he? What has he done? <laughs> like he's just being rude and this. And you're just mm. like. I've just been trying to play it cool for yeah. all this time, and now, and now I feel like, I, now I'm actually being disrespected mm-hmm. and annoyed. I can't express that. Yeah, and I and I was doing that to myself. So I resonate so much with that. I, I
3: fr, sort of my childhood. I had the shortest fuse. Mm-hmm. I was I was an, not an angry kid, but it didn't take a lot to take me there. And I sort of the fire raged, and then yeah. it was it was quite a, I'd say probably a healthy ish expression yeah. of anger, yeah. and then I went into this sort of codependent empathy yeah. where um, I was just like, I'm not an angry person. That's the yeah. one I always hear in people. I'm just not an angry person. It's like, well, you, you have anger within you. That is there. And if you can't express it, it's, express it, it's just going to build up and up and up. And yeah. you actually, when you do ex- learn to start expressing it again yeah. and it gets shamed or shunned, yeah. you go further into that repression of it. If, you, if you're not careful. Mm. And so I think it, yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying. You either follow the anger and you embody that more narcissistic end of the pole, or you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and go into that sort of codependent empathy mm. as well. Mm.
2: So, what do we do about it, guys? Because <laughs> I <I'm> was just like, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, we've all got, I'm sure mm. we've all got ideas there, but where do we begin with that work
0: you know, I Think in the anger space? Um, like, I was one, I'm one of these people where anger wasn't really allowed in my house. So if you got angry, there would just be a kind of silence and like shuffling out of a room, Mm. you know? Like even now, I don't really get angry. Like it takes a lot for me to get angry, like really angry. Um, I think it's acknowledging that. The work for me has been acknowledging the times when I actually do get angry and I don't just suppress it as like, oh no, it's fine, it doesn't matter. Mm. Because it's really easy for me to go, oh, Someone just pushed me on the train. Ah, oh, It's no big deal. Mm. Just be cool. Just be cool. Be chill. And actually, sometimes all it is is to say, yeah, I'm fucking angry about that. Mm. That makes me angry. They took the piss. I might not need to say a word to that person, but just in myself to acknowledge that there's, like, I'm angry about that thing. Mm.
2: And that's okay. Yeah,
0: mm. it's okay for me to be angry. I might even go home and tell tell my girlfriend and be like, this person did this thing and it makes me angry. And she'd be like, okay, cool. And the thing is, is that if you shame yourself in that moment of like, I shouldn't be angry, there's something wrong with being angry. Or someone else tells you that you shouldn't be angry or there's something wrong with being angry. Even a look can do it for you, you know, if you're sensitive to it. Even the looks, the way someone looks at you can can do it, can really shift it. It's like, so it's just creating safety around anger. And the thing is, is and I always come back to this for me, is like, my relationship to anger cannot be separated from the era that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Like, mid-90s, London, angry, black man, dangerous, TV, prison. You had mm. house parties, though. Hmm? You had house parties. Yeah, had house parties. Yeah. So people's garage. house parties. <laughs> but, I about that. but, at the same time, you used to go house and garage raves, the first ones that come up is like, don't step on someone's brother's shoes, yeah, man. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Don't step on someone's shoes. I've saw in clubs, man steps on another man's shoe, accidentally, purely, Man turns to man. Man punches man in the face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so I was like, I don't want to be like that. I'm not mm. like that. I'm different from those guys. So it's 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 really yeah. like seeing that there was this thing around anger and around my mum, even I can definitely see the anger in my mum's house. Because I got a little nephew now and he is with my my sister and my mum. And he gets very angry, like even yesterday I was there and i bit i had some of his sweet i said can i have some of your sweet he goes yes he gave it to me so i bit some and then he just was going around going mm, mm, mm. this is where he's angry and it's really fascinating to watch because now i'm like ah he's angry he doesn't know how to express this he just makes sounds and he throws himself around how old is he uh 3 okay. and i'm like okay he's trying to express his anger but he doesn't know how to and my sister my younger sister who, his mother which is really beautiful because she's she's like um She has a degree in early years uh, learning Mm -hmm. and she's a primary school teacher. So she's equipped. Mm -hmm. So she'll she'll be like, okay, what is it that you want to say? What are you feeling, Joshua? What do you want to express? Are you feeling angry? What are you angry about? Remember, we talked about talking about this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's only when he goes too far and he's not listening, she's like, okay, you're going to go on the step and have some time to think about what's happening, what you're feeling and stuff like that. Then we come back again. And then even I was there. So then she was like, okay, you were angry. Like you can express that, but doing, you know, throwing things around and rolling around the floor and shouting—that's not how you have to deal with it. So she he had to come back to apologise to me. Mm. He was like, "Sorry," and I said, "What are you sorry for?" And he was like, "I'm sorry for like," and he really struggled to say it. And I kept bringing him back and being like, "Nope, come and sit down okay. here. Come, nope, stand here." And I was really calm with him. And it's just seeing like, oh wow, in when I was a kid, I would have got angry. And my mum probably would have beat me, <laughs> yeah. you know, for throwing stuff around because she didn't have headspace for this. You know, if she was alone. It would have been like two, of, uh, two kids. She would have been working all week. She didn't have headspace for this. But like to see this modelling there, like, okay, you can be angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. You can express it. You can use words. You can make sound for a while, but there comes a point mm-hmm. where like shouting and screaming because you mm-hmm. shared a bit of your suite with your uncle, even though he did ask you if... He you can, you can have that, And you said, yes. They don't understand possession
1: like that. No, mm.
0: but it is this, you start to see like, okay, you're allowed to be angry. Just allowing people to be angry mm. and not conflating that with rage mm-hmm. mm. and violence. Like I think, you know, for me definitely seeing like, oh, if someone's angry, we often just think, oh, they become dangerous. Mm. They're, they're dangerous. An angry man's a dangerous man, right? But actually... <clears throat> Anger is a perfectly normal response to someone crossing your boundaries, yeah. someone, um, you know, going back on an agreement or doing something to you. It's an you, injustice. You know, it's that's an, some, an injustice, yeah, injustice. injustice. It's a perfectly reasonable response. Mm-hmm. But we've somehow made anger to mean rage or uncontrollable rage mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. so. Or anything, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, he's angry. And we all get, because everyone gets scared at someone that's angry, it kind of reinforces the shame. So it's like, we can all kind of work on having better reactions to people when they're angry. Like, oh, someone's angry. Okay, cool. They're angry. It's okay.
2: Yeah. I just want to, on that, I want to share a a beautifully disconfirming experience that I had with my partner recently. Um, I think it was Christmas Eve. um, I was making, she and I had our like Christmas dinner, like on our (laughs) Christmas on Christmas Eve. And um, I was making dinner and... Um, I'd made this big thing about making sure that we had cauliflower cheese, mm. and um, the cauliflower cheese was in the oven, and everything was cooking. Everything was going really well, and I was just about to start serving everything up, and I pulled the cauliflower cheese out the oven, and it just slipped and it dropped all over the floor. And it was the only cauliflower cheese we had. Oh no. gutted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> in that moment, when I look back at it, I was really embarrassed. Um, I was, and, and the way that that came through was that sharp, um, slightly uncontrolled anger. And what I've realized is that sometimes in those moments, sometimes in those moments, um, I actually have like an uncontrollable, I I need to physically release. Mm. So I need to hit something. And I did, and I, I, I hit the sink really hard with my hand. And then in that moment, I also felt, again, I'd, having done that, felt some embarrassment. But Haley met sort of, she met me with a bit of space. She knew that I was just having a bit of a moment. And then she just spoke to me really calmly.
4: Mm.
2: And that allowed me to move out of that shame quite quickly. Uh, she gave me permission to, I, I've become quite self-reflective in those moments. And I, I try to then unpack and I become a bit more conscious about it and a bit kinder to myself. And then I, I actually sat and I spoke about I've just witnessed this need that I have to almost move that energy up and out of me physically. That's why I have to hit something. She went, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, as long as it's a sink, obviously. Mm. You know, as long as it's something that is inanimate and doesn't cause anyone any harm and you don't cause yourself that much harm. You know, I had a bit of a red hand. But that was it. And it didn't ruin the rest of the day like historically it Mm. might have done. You know, I didn't carry that shame into the rest of my experience and the rest of that, that meal. And it just... I just, we just moved on with our afternoon and it was beautiful. I
3: think it's, it's a point that I was, I was going to come on to as well, which is I think, David, you mentioned like this association that we have with anger and you know, violence and mm. danger. I think rightly in, in so many ways, a lot of women have that association with male anger. Yeah. Mm. And you know, obviously the, the weight of male violence against women is undeniable. Mm. And I've had a lot of experiences where I've gone to express anger in some form in the presence of a partner and terror, fear comes across them. Mm. And it's not even that I'm expressing anger towards them, it's just being in the presence of male anger feels incredibly unsafe. Yep. And so I think there's a lot of co-regulation and co-healing to be done there in our relationship with our own anger, but also how that is then held and received by partners, by mm. which is not even partners, but women in our, our lives and actually mm. modeling a safe expression of anger. Mm. Um,
1: And not having it shamed, not having it invalidated. It's such a difficult one. It goes back to what you said about what do we do about it. It's we've got to remodel and rework what that anger, what anger looks like and how it's Mm. expressed as men. Mm. Because understandably, a woman that's seeing that is going to feel, anybody who's seen that Mm -hmm. is going to feel unsafe. Mm. Because a child walking around there, Mm. your partner knowing that that's how you release, but a child... Yeah. Seeing that you've dropped the thing, first of all, they're gonna be like, loud noise, this mm-hmm. is bad. Seeing that you've hit the thing, they're gonna be like, ah, what's going on? Yep. They don't have that level of understanding yeah. in that sense. So it's kind of like, yeah. But also, yep. how do we mm. find a way? How do we because it's a it's a fight or flight response. You've mm. got yeah. to figure out how we are how we deal with that in the moment. I leave I I leave places, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, let me just Get out of here! <laughs> mm, but and when I'm angry. angry, I tend to leave. Yeah. I tend to leave a space I'm, I'm because like I remove myself. Yeah, I just I tend to leave a space because I'm like again, it's back to that shame of when I when I mm. when I did feel angry, I would never showed it. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it is healthy to express what that looks like, but I tend yeah. to like a cat, mm. tend to go to like leave the room <laughs> and then just be angry with myself yeah. and then be like. Because I, I, I don't want to bring people into that psychodrama that I'm And
2: I think that's, yeah, that's important to say as well, because that that was obviously, you're right, that was a wonderfully, as I say, a disconfirming experience yeah. for me to be witnessed in that response. Yeah. And I actually think that that is, is also part of the healing that then Absolutely. prevents the response in future. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I feel okay to have that moment where I'm just upset at dropping the cauliflower yeah. cheese, yeah. the less likely I am to then need that physiological outburst to yeah. move that anger because I'll feel...
0: Yeah, more in control of it. Yeah. Some people swear. Some people, yeah. mm. you know, some people just say, "I'm angry." Yeah, that's like, it. that's a start. You know, I just mm. like yeah. in front of you know, in front of your partner, just to be like, "I'm angry." I'm, I'm, so, like angry. Angry. I'm yeah. so angry. I'm so angry. And this is this is the thing, right? This is where the healing kind of comes in, right? The co-regulation slash healing is that for some people, like my partner also, right? Her, her she's had a lot of anger around her father, right? And it makes her very afraid. So her experience of me saying, I'm angry right, about some other thing, but that having no impact on how I treat her shifts her relationship to someone Mm -hmm. being angry. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's angry about, I don't know, the weather or something that's happened today, but that doesn't get aimed at me. I'm still safe in the presence of anger. And that's, that's what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. here with yourself, right? It's like... Oh, I'm safe in the presence of anger. And When we start to train that in a relationship, it's mm. like, especially if we've had, you know, from young age, we've dealt with parents who are angry and they maybe lash out and it's violent, mm. stuff like that. It's like, oh, I'm safe in the presence of anger. Yep. Like, I'm okay. I can, we can be together when you're angry and this doesn't put me in an unsafe situation, mm. but it does, it can be a practice. Like you can literally set up practices. Like I could sit in front of my partner and be like, I'm going to beat the shit out of a pillow and I just want you to watch, right? Right. Okay. It can be a it, because Not she can that. see that I'm angry, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything. And then come afterwards and be like, "I love you." Hug her, you know, whatever it may be. Because it's like you're safe now. You're safe yeah. in the presence of this anger, and knowing that it's like this anger isn't going to lead to me being in danger. Yeah, mm. and I think ultimately it comes down to that. First and
3: foremost, that personal responsibility, right? Yeah. And it's going from whether you are someone who struggles to get a handle on their anger and it comes up as rage and it's impulsive and explosive or whether you are so repressed that you really struggle to express it. It's how do we gradually train ourselves and practice to, w- to w- move towards mm-hmm. the middle yeah. and regulate that anger so that that first impulsive reaction might not show up anymore, but you are still able to express it. And that's the dance always. It's like, you don't want to go too far the other way because mm-hmm. that's also sometimes what happens but you don't want to stay stuck where you are. So it's like, how can you train yourself towards the middle? And there's a a really lovely... um, Quote er by Brené Brown, by any chance? Not Brené Brown. (laughs) Eric (laughs) Eric Godsey. Eric Godsey. Um, And he says that there's three three types of anger. I know Harry introduced me to this first. Um, Three types of anger. Um, Rage, which which seeks to harm. Mm -hmm. Unclean, which seeks to blame. And clean, which seeks to resolve. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like just knowing it's that validation that anger is okay it's healthy it's an emotion that should be felt and expressed um but acknowledging when it wants to show up in an unclean way or a rageful way and being able to to regulate yourself um, and express it in a way that that is safe for yourself and for others check in with the intention of your anger
1: Mm.
3: Mm. which isn't always easy to do you know frameworks are helpful and then life happens but this is is what I'm saying
1: we can have this conversation because for people who deal with work with other people Mm. in in particular areas Mm. have had to do a a lot of the work ourselves so we can access our internal worlds quite quickly and quite easily Mm. and even though it wasn't easy for us to do so in the initial phases most if you're talking about men most men that come to us for whatever reason they're coming to us for that we're the entry point yeah. into that mm-hmm. so and we know how long that healing takes so
0: mm. you know like can be whenever and mm. that's a good point as well I think like I, I don't know if you guys get this people come to me for coaching and they're like yeah like I think this could probably we can sort this out in like you know maybe five or six <laughs> sessions and, I, and I'm more and more amongst I'm people I'm like dude this took me five or six years Mm. like this some you have to realize some this this isn't a pill that you can go and buy in holland and barrett like this stuff can take a long time because Uh you have to make mistakes along the way and learn from those mistakes it's it's an iterative process it's like developing software or something it's not a case of like oh well we know what the problem is and we'll just have four or five conversations Mm -hmm. and then i'm healed and i can walk away it's like this is a this is a process. It takes yeah.
1: it takes what seven to ten sessions to build a therapeutic relationship with somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's just and that's just about when certain people are allowing allowing you to feel trusted.
4: Mm.
1: So after that, who knows? Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. I was in therapy move. for three to four years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I've been speaking. To I thought my I'd therapist. only be there for like six mm-hmm. months.
0: I've been speaking to my therapist for three years. Wow, yeah. I, I didn't even know I was going there for. He was when I first met him. He was like you know, you're an unusual case because usually people come with something. He was like, but your life looks like it's in a good place. I was like, well, you know, shit can always be better. (laughs) You know, I want to understand something. I was a mess.
1: (laughs) I was sitting there like, knees knocked in, tissues. (laughs) I (laughs) mean, everything's wrong. As someone, obviously as a
3: coach, as a coach, as someone training to be a, you know, psychotherapist, You've mentioned you mentioned at the start as well the therapeutic relationship and obviously that is so important in the development of that that person the the kind of the person that's undertaking the therapy i've spoken to friends of mine in the past um about this what what are your guys opinions on the importance of shared life experience in the therapeutic relationship i guess what i'm getting at is a black therapist a mm-hmm. male therapist mm-hmm. a gay therapist if you're if you're gay like what is the importance of that in in your opinion in terms of the Mm. i guess the impacts and the the development of the
1: therapeutic relationship i read this book called the shack have you ever heard of the shack Mm -hmm. and essentially it's around a guy who something tragic happens to his family he growing up he had an issue with his dad Never had any kind of relationship with them, but he started his own family. when I mean, tragic happens, and um, he sets him on a journey to go and you know find God. And he goes to this shack, and in this shack, this is where he kind of learns about himself. But it's it's based on the Christian principles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, his experience with finding the Trinity, God, the Son and the Holy Spirit, is that they reveal themselves to him. Well, God reveals itself to him in the way that he needs it to be revealed to him at the Mm. time. So Mm -hmm. God could not reveal itself to him as a father because he had that deep father wound. So revealed itself to him as an African-American woman. Mm. And that's how he was able to then feel disarmed, Mm -hmm. disarmed, but able to go into that, that kind of context. And I use that example to say that we go to therapy to experience, especially with the therapist, typically to go and experience... What we need at the time i needed a black woman therapist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the time i've since stopped therapy because i've been with her through for so long to get me through where i need to get through and now i'm like all right i need a male therapist now because i'm at that point where i need a male therapist Mm -hmm. to guide me through the next phase and i acknowledge that through that stuff so that all depends on what you are needing Mm. at that time and that's where I was like, it's like, so it's not just a thing. Because even when I, before I was even training and before I even went into therapy, I was doing a panel once and there was one guy in the crowd and he was like, he doesn't want to have a black, he's black, but he didn't want to have a black therapist. He didn't want them to over-identify with him getting beaten as a child, for mm. example. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, he was like, I just don't want that. I just want, I want somebody who just never had that. And I was like, okay. And at the time I was like, why would you say that? But mm. going through the process of both academically and both mm. like, personally, I'm like, okay, cool. What you need is what you need at that time. Yeah. So I'm like, if that's what you need, if you need a completely different perspective to who you are, mm. then step into that yeah. and see what that's like. But you know, and you know, a lot of lot therapists are trained in that diversity kind of stuff. So mm. if you need to feel safe though, that's another thing. Go to yeah. who you feel who you think that you will feel safe with. Mm. Again, that's what a relationship is personally. I mm. don't know what David has to add.
0: <laughs> I think I find it interesting actually because when I I think about this on the way, my coaching clients over the last couple of years, I've had a range of 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 race. I've always had black clients, yeah, always the whole whole time I've been coaching. I've always had a few, um, like even when people finish and then someone new comes in, I've always had Asian clients as well. Always had Asian men and white men, and sometimes people come to me and they say. I'm coming to you because you're going to understand my experience. I've heard your story and you're going to understand my experience and I'm not going to have to explain things to you. Mm -hmm. And that's been interesting because sometimes people do, their experience and life experience is very similar and it means that some parts of the conversation, they don't have to explain too much. They can just go, I felt like this because this thing happened. I'm like, I get it. (laughs) And then we can move on to whatever they want to move on to next. But equally... I think there is I think trust is a massive part of the relationship huge huge part of the relationship like feeling safe feeling that this is someone who will have empathy and compassion I think that's a big big part like is this person going to listen to me
4: mm.
0: you know I had a conversation with someone once and he said at the end of it he's just like I don't and it was the one coaching conversation we ever had actually he was just like I don't think anyone has ever listened to me so deeply in my whole life. Like, I don't think anyone's listened to me that deeply in my whole life. And I said, oh, okay. Mm. And he's like, I didn't know people could listen mm. in that way. Like, he's like, you've listened. You've, you know, you the thing I said in the first five minutes, you've now connected that to the thing that I just said five minutes ago and we've been on the phone for an hour and a half. You know, this hasn't been about, and as I said, the conversation's about you. It's not about me. So I think, knowing that they're going to be listened to. But I also think that's one of the interesting things I've been thinking more and more about, especially working with men. Because my my partner, she works with women, and I work with her clients. I have a, you know, every time she has a client for like six months or a year, I work with them a few sessions. And I think most men are so, have had so many conversations where they don't actually feel listened to. They don't know what it's like to be really listened to. Mm -hmm. So... I believe, and I don't know if this is just my own hypothesis, it might be complete bollocks it's why they have such an they're so adverse towards therapy and even coaching, because they can't see the value of a conversation because mm. they don't know what it feels like because to they've had a conversation actually... that was massively valued, valuable for them, mm. being listened to, because all their conversations aren't about being listened to, mm. it's about judgement and opinion. I would asterisk that yeah. with the type of coaching yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Type of coaching. Yeah. yeah.
1: Because as soon as it's a business coach or mm-hmm. something that yeah. will get you the result of your yearly salary in a
0: month or something oh, like yeah. that. That becomes mentoring, really. Yeah. That's what it yeah. is. It's, it's a mentoring. That's the coaching, like, the business mm. coaching, transfer, yeah. like, that kind of mm. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. And that, I'm so. listening. And, and so, so what I think, this is why men often feel this, like, oh, I don't need therapy. It's like, because no, you don't know what it's like to be listened to. Mm. No one's ever really listened to you.
4: Yeah you don't even, know
0: what you need you don't know what you you don't know what you don't know you don't yeah. know what you've never had um so i think the safety element is massive the trust um and sometimes people just get a bit of a feeling for you like mm-hmm. you know i've had people talk to me come to me for coaching like i've been listening to your podcast for 9 months mm-hmm. and then they're quoting me back from episodes and I'm like oh wow I don't remember saying that, but I must have said that. Sometimes I'm going to say because they've got to know, and they feel safe, they know, they feel like it's yeah. someone they can they can resonate with. So I think the client relationship in terms of race can be really important. I think people are often look for shared experience, but equally on the flip side, sometimes people are coming to you because they they, you have a knowledge that mm. they want mm. yeah, or they want to tap into in some way. Yeah. Mm. So it's like they want to get what they want to get. Yep. Right, the safety element maybe is there for them but it's more important that they get the, the information the knowledge or the result that they want in mm. so it really depends on the person but I think yeah. I say with women I think there's a slight difference I think safety is more important for them that's been my experience of working with with, with, with AUSA's female clients it's like they come to me and obviously they feel safe to me by proxy by, by AUSA But when they're talking to me, I can, there's there's this, like, the safety element of being understood and being listened to Hmm. is really important. And I think something that's come up with a few of her clients I've spoken to is, like, one of them said to me, actually, after she emailed me, she was just like, that's the first time in my life that I feel like I've been listened to by a masculine presence in all my life. Yeah. And I was like, shit, you know, fuck, that's your, you know, you're in your mid-30s. Mm, mm. and I was just listening and you, she was just like you challenged me but it was like there was no blame the challenge was pushing me towards growth mm. and she was just like that's just not an experience I've had yeah. and I've always worked with men I've always been like working with men working with men. <laughs> and I've you know the last kind of year been speaking to more women which I've actually been quite nervous about but I can see there's a there can be a massive opportunity for healing in there right working with women so I think that it really depends on the person, but I think that ultimately safety and trust yeah. are so important, right? You know, mm. when you're holding spaces, doing breath work, you know, when people feel safe, they mm. feel open, they feel relaxed. Um and yeah. I think that's that a trip. Mm-hmm. It's a trip, breath it. <laughs> <laughs> It's a trip. It takes you places. It takes you places. It's
1: similar to the hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. When, when people are quote unquote in trance and then that journey that you have to take,
0: wild. Yeah. Fun times. But there's the safety element as well. It's like mm. and there's also I think there's like a I think there's quite a um physiological part of it which can't be put into words mm. like, you know, I've been doing like I said, I've been working with embodiment and stuff and it's it's like having a presence that feels safe to people, yeah. which you can nurture. That's intangible, isn't it? Because it's like really intangible know. for people. And I think again, it's something that men don't really think about. Like, do I feel safe with this human being? I don't I feel really safe with this guy and I don't write quite know why yeah. like I used to get this in my younger years with women they're like I just feel like I can trust you I feel safe around you and I don't fully know what it was and I think as a coach now I see what it is is that I'm just here mm-hmm. I'm here with you and your experience I'm, I'm not anxious really I'm not nervous about being and seeing I'm not jittery I'm here I, I guess I look for my life I've always been quite a present person and I'm I'm curious about you and I have no other intention and that in itself translates into a kind of physical felt safety which we can't always put into words that we we actually kind of are taught out of looking for because mm. we should always look for the logical stuff but it's mm. like that kind of felt yeah, safety like is really really important to to start to nurture as a as a man like through meditation through breath work mm. through because that is a big difference like it's something I do with a lot of my clients when I mean, especially One's in relationship with their partners. If there's conflict, one of the things I'm doing, I'm I'm there. I'm like, you need to learn to breathe very deeply and very slowly, right? Mm. In her presence, start doing that because you're going to find that she will feel safer, and your responses will just be a lot calmer, and that will translate into magic yeah. for you, and it has a huge yeah. impact.
3: I think we massively underestimate the. Uh, well we are so mind-led as men but also as humans Mm. and so we're thinking about what can i say here that's going to make a difference and Mm -hmm. make this person feel safe when actually there's a deeper conversation going on between two nervous systems yes and the influence that your own nervous system can have on somebody else's is something that we've just lost touch with Mm. as as Mm. beings like we just have forgotten about it and Mm. we're now starting to tap back into it and going "Huh, that really works yeah and yeah. it's instead of going, how can I, how can I speak this into existence? It's just like, how can I feel it's, in this yeah. moment? With, and and with. how can that have a knock on into somebody else's experience? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like I found, I always think back to when I was at, back into my traveling, when I was just like speaking to people and interacting with people all the time, I was just so there because I had no preoccupation of where I needed to go. I was just in this town with this person in this moment. And we were just, you know, shooting shit. Like, you know, maybe... I can remember times with, and I always kind of think of women. I remember being in a hostel and being this hostel had a pool in the middle of it, <laughs> and I'd got there and this girl was leaving and I was just getting a drink and we were talking, and she was like to me, you know, we've only been talking for like two hours. She's like, but I'm thinking about staying here another night, mm. Mm. like just to spend time with you. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, we can do that. That's cool.
2: system is just going, yep, this feels good. Yeah, feels and it's safe. like
0: it's that way of just being like really calm and present and. There's nothing you can do to speak yourself into that state, really. It's learning to, Mm. and seeing that there's like a, like I always think of it, because sex is another place we go into this, is like our nervous systems plug into each Mm. other, Mm. and one is leading the other, and if one of us is feeling super anxious and nervous, and it affects the other person, then they don't know why. Why am I feeling really uncomfortable with this Mm -hmm. person? Like, you know, we've all met people, we're like, man, this person makes me feel so on edge, Mm. what is it? and sometimes you get to know them and you're like oh shit because you are on edge all the time (laughs) and it's like but then we often look for people who have a calming influence on us and it's not necessarily their words it's their way of being and this is the thing that like is ignored a lot in the coaching space I think because we're like oh you know but it's like your way of being Mm. is probably the biggest influence on your results and your life your relationships and it's a thing that like I certainly want to put more attention to in the work that I do because it's like when we can shift your way of being, your calmness and so forth, all these other things you want, they'll become easier for you
3: to to move towards. 100%. I think as well, I was thinking on the walk down to the studio, I know we sort of jokingly said about all having fairly low voices (laughs) and like fairly softly spoken as as a group. And I think we know that the state of your nervous system feeds into the expression of your voice Mm -hmm. and the one thing I get and it used to annoy me the one thing I always get in my my work doing breath work is people saying, you have got a great voice for this man and I'm like I haven't done anything to deserve that compliment like it's just how my (laughs) voice shows up but actually what they're saying to me is the way in which you communicate and express helps me to feel safe my nervous system softens in the state in the Mm. um, company of Mm -hmm. your expression I saw
2: a great video um, by a guy called Fish Fisher um, great does. name yeah. as well <laughs> so, wow. like, yeah fish one of the most I don't think I've ever followed someone's Instagram account just because of how much their energy spoke yeah. to me mm. absolutely and he the video is is of him talking about he's like it's just him standing opposite another guy and he's like so look me and you brother we're doing one thing up here right he said but down here he said there's a whole another thing going on he's right there <laughs> he's like how, is, how am I how, like how is my body communicating with your body mm. somatically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and he, he said, because don't get me wrong, this feels like, he said, you can feel it, right? You can feel it. That feels like incredible. And that is like almost that excitement in safety and particularly for men, we we don't get that. Mm. We, we have the opposite. We have mm. that fear. We have that competition. We have that, there's a rivalry. There's a, you know, it's me versus you, you know. Um, so, to have that and experience that Mm. um yeah i mean yeah the the impact is just unbelievable we've talked about the impact of of helping women feel safe in the presence of men help men feel safe in the presence of yeah yeah
1: and that's one of the big that's one of my big things it's about because i was thinking about this war and this this idea of this war on masculinity and all this Mm. stuff and i'm like it's not even fought by women children or nbs yeah it's men fighting men Mm. Mm. And then, and then the casualties of that war are other men, obviously, but yep. women, children, mbs at the same time. And then you just got, and you're just like, it's men <laughs> like causing this, yeah. causing this problem with one <laughs> another. Because again, you sit in a room with a man who perceives himself in a particular way, and you know, as the alpha or the X or the Y, and wants to present himself as a man, and in doing so they tap into the belief of who they of that and you know I've been in presence of men working with them but where they're just so they don't want to be disarmed straight away so they will do the I don't know the ritual or the kind of thing where they want to feel they want to be bigger or be X, Y and Z or puffing out or bracing up and I'm just like <laughs> I'm I'm taller than you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> number,
1: number, number two, I can defend myself, so mm. I'm good. So yeah. all of this, do what you got, do what you have to do to mm. make yourself feel whatever you need to feel. Yeah. But I'm, I'll, as you said, up here, you're doing all of that, but in here, I see mm. that there's something that you're trying to protect, and yeah, I'm speaking I, to you here too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I'm just, just I'm yeah. just you know, quietly waiting. I'll yeah, wait. Yeah. I'm, I'll wait. I got, I got time.
0: You know, so. <laughs> and there's loads of research around this, right? I'm doing this course with, on Map, and they're like, the the Heart math and the heart sends out a m- electromagnetic field that's three feet. Yeah. I Is it more think, than yeah. three feet? Three feet or more? Yeah, it's something around that. There's wow. research, I think it's Daniel Goldman's got a book on emotional intelligence. Oh yeah. There's like a I think he calls it like a subhighway of information that's exchanged when we make eye contact, when we talk to people in the presence of people. There's all this information that's being exchanged that is below our kind of consciousness. It's nonverbal. It's not. It's just yeah. yeah it's yeah. non-conscious. Or they don't even know. Is it? Is, mm. it, is it this? You know, because the brain sends out electromagnetic field, right? The heart sends out its own electromagnetic field. So it's like we are communicating because we are just big bundles of you know electricity, really, and we're exchanging information at a level that is beyond. Our kind of standard cognitive understanding, mm. and it's starting to understand that. Well, you can influence that through your body. You know, mm. you know, we all know about uh, body language, right? But actually, then you can start to to do that with the the calmness. You can, you know, relax. You mm. can slow your breath down, for instance, mm. like the energy language. Yeah, mm. even even the speed of which we speak. You mm-hmm. know, I was listening to a podcast by a guy called I think, Chris Bale, and one of the things that really like blew me away of listening to his podcast. He just speaks so slowly, like to the point where yeah. I was listening to it on a bus and I had to check my phone a couple of times mm. like, oh, is it? Is did I not download this? Mm. Has it just stopped? buffering? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I oh know he's just His, his
2: demeanour is disarming, isn't it? Yeah. Chris, Chris Bale awakened on Instagram. Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if I've listened to a few of his things. So yeah. he's, he's, he's just, just thinking as he speaks. Just, yeah, he's mm. just like. He's present he, with his own. He's in no rush. He's yeah. considered. I think as well and that,
3: yeah, yeah. It's, it's disarming. It's, and you know, people, you know, Instagram and social media is, is probably very accountable for this in terms of, you know, see people talking about like high vibe, low vibe and like oh. raising your vibration. And it gets a little bit, you know- Spir- Spiritual bypassing. Exactly. Mm, but yeah. with, there is, I think beneath it, the same message that we're talking about here, which is actually your energetic frequency Mm. The, the resonance of your limbic system and your nervous mm. system, that is a rea- like a real factor. And so if you're operating from a reactive kind of tense, sympathetically activated stress response place, people are picking up on that. Mm. And their nervous system is responding to that. And then people are like, oh, why don't I feel good in that person's company? Mm.
2: They haven't said anything. Oh, they haven't that done moment, anything. You know, when you just, you haven't even said a word. Mm. You know, someone's walked into your space. You're in a you know a communal Ooh. environment and they've just like it's like they, their energies hit you mm. and you've gone oh fuck i'm not safe here like yeah. your body said that you oh. you may be i don't think those words you they might not come to you straight away they may not be what you think mm. your body's gone okay. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 there's a threat here or there's there's something that's just unsafe
1: mm. yeah looking like certain people walk into a room and i'm just like there's something going on here mm. and i like, and just gonna, it's just a matter of time before somebody says something and it's on. Yeah. Or yeah, when I say it's on, it's either. Yeah, explosion you're, you're, you're in or, countdown. You're already. And I'm just like,
4: mm. hmm.
1: And then, so that's when I go into my mind and start thinking okay, how do I prepare my body for whatever is going to turn up? And that's when you start stepping into like childlike state, like in a child area, yeah. thinking, okay, who was I when I was eight and mm-hmm. this was all happening and I had to just like, so what am I going to do to protect myself in this situation? Mm. Wild. And then it's that balance, right, of being
3: prepared, but not allowing them to over-influence you. Right. And so they're tr- are they triggering you into fight-flight or are you preparing yourself for whatever eventuality from a grounded place mm-hmm. and i think that's where these tools and techniques that we've you know touched on in passing are so key because mm-hmm. it's about building that resilience without kind of suppressing repressing blocking things but not being it's sort of that again it's finding that middle ground which is the the you know ongoing dance of like not overreactive but not underreactive and sort of mm-hmm. being prepared but not being hypervigilant and sort okay. of always striving for that yeah. that midpoint okay. um, that was a really interesting tangent. Yeah, I really mm, enjoyed that. Mm, mm. How did we get here? How now did we just, get here? It's <laughs> such
0: an important part in relationship. I always think of it in relationship because of the work I do. And it's like, even with my partner also, she'll come and be like, oh, I've had a really stressful day. And the next thing I'm like, okay, I'm not actually going to be say anything, but I'm just going to sit here and just really be in my calm and really being in my relaxation. Mm. And I know that that will emanate and you'll feel that. And after she's been speaking... And I'm aware of like, I don't need to take that on. Mm. I don't need to take on her stress and anxiety. I can stay in my bubble of calm and that will impact her. That's going to impact her. I might not have to say anything. I might just sit there and listen. And it's knowing that we have this ability and we can use it, right? To positively influence or negatively influence the world around us Mm. and the individual situations we find ourselves in. Um, It's the... You know I think it's gonna to come to the fore more and more in the in the years to come because it sounds like there's more research being done but um just knowing that you know just knowing like oh I might walk into a room or see a person or be with a person like oh this feels mm, I feel stressed I feel angry now mm. it's like those things get transmitted through the yeah. through the being so it's like I can come back to myself come back to my own calm Mm. And just be in that and not have to necessarily let that influence me. Mm.
3: And so often the people that create those feelings within us, those sort of internal triggers that we can't quite put our finger on, are mirroring someone from our past. Yeah. A caregiver, uh, you know, whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're seeing that anger that you saw in your dad, for example, in somebody else. And you're going, in your nervous system, and your limbic system, are going... We've been here before and I don't like this. I don't feel safe in this. Um, how do so, I protect yeah, myself? How do I protect myself? Yeah. Mm. Incredible. Mm.
1: To freedom. I'm <laughs> <laughs> brandy.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in moderation. In moderation. <laughs> I'm with
2: ice. Preferably. <laughs> Feels like a nice place to wrap. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very big thank you for for being here but for I mean to all of us actually as well for a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Mm-hmm. Um but no, to you guys as guests, thank you so much for being here. Um where can people find you? Because I think that hopefully this this conversation sparks, you know, some some curiosity and some some thought and you know, for anyone who wants to find, you know, get in
1: touch with you guys or find more about your work. Um everything you can find out about me is on alexhomes.co. And that's .co. I've that's got the same. I've got the same on my. Confuses everyone. And you know what? I make this joke every time. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm decolonizing my domain names. It's not, it's not America and it's not UK. I'm just freewheeling on the international. Thing. My name is so common that .co at UK and .com and .anything is just hard to find. So .co. But Alex you .co. Find anything there? Podcast, newsletter, coaching, therapy stuff. Anything. Mm. That's where you'll find everything. Mm. My Instagram. Instagram is by Alex Holmes. Um, but yeah, generally, I'm around. around. Just out and about. Out yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is relaunching. Um, sorry, I don't know when this is going to go out, but it's relaunching the end of January. Oh, cool. Um, it's now called the Mindful Man Podcast. And mm, nice. yeah, it's going to be a lot of conversations um, around similar topics, around topics of shame-based trauma and and the like, but we're gonna keep Good going. Stuff. Yeah. It's hard stuff for me, but if it's mm-hmm. hard for me, it's gonna you know,
0: it, it's worth sharing. So um mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Amazing. David. Um I think I'm the authentic man in most places actually. Instagram's probably the the best place to find me. Um second best of probably podcasts. Mm-hmm. Authentic man with David Chambers. You can find me, you know, all the podcast places um and in terms of working with me, the best way is, again, you get me through one of those two places, but I've got a, a men's program. And it kind of, my that thought of me that's come, men's coming up in March and April. And it's similar to what we're saying about being safe in a group of men. Because the one thing that every single man came around, I, I ran the program about six months ago, every man came away and they were like, I've never felt so safe in a group of men. Mm-hmm. I was able to talk to these men who were really strangers. And express things that i can't express to my partner or my friends i've known for 20 years Uh, it was uh, one of my aims was like safety of of men so that's something i'm i'm gonna be working on and it's an online group program that i'm really proud of um so yeah those are the ways to contact me and work with me as well as one-to-one coaching as well
3: incredible hell yeah hell yeah love that i think just on that as well i think having sat around this table with you guys and obviously the relationships we've all built over the last however many years Um, to come back to the point I made before about sort of that rejection of my dad and my own masculinity, I think one of the best ways you can heal your own relationship with yourself and your own masculinity is through healing your relationships with other men Mm. and cultivating deeper, healthier, more authentic, Mm. more real, more emotional connections with with other men. So Mm. yeah, from a very selfish personal perspective, (laughs) I'm super, super grateful for you guys and and for this conversation. And um, I'm sure there are many more that we'll go on to have. Thanks for for having us. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you.